If you're new this morning, we're in a series on the book of Acts that we've titled Power Today because we're learning so much about how the Spirit of God works and, and the things He uses and the way that He uses people, the way the Spirit of God moves. One of the things the Spirit of God likes to do is to bring people together because the fact is we can do more together than we can do on our own. That the Christian life is not a do-it-yourself project either in sanctification or in ministering to people or in having a ministry. God may set his hand on certain people in a unique way, but it will never be to the degree or with the result that they don't need other people. This is the genius of the Holy Spirit, that we're a body of believers and that together we can accomplish more through his power and his leading than any of us could accomplish on our own. That's why this morning I want to talk to you on the whole theme of teamwork, the title of the message, Teamwork Makes the Dream Work. The Apostle Paul was a team player. You read through the book of Acts and even through his letters, and you always see it's Paul and Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Luke. And as we come to chapter 18, really what we see is we see Paul going from Athens to Corinth, 50 miles west. I'm bringing a map up so we're all together. So he starts out from Antioch. He goes into Asia Minor, uh, up to Lystra, Iconium. There he picks up Timothy. He journeys all the way across Asia, the Lord not letting him do anything, which we talked about those times when you can't figure out what God is up to. And usually it's because God has something bigger in mind than we have in our heart. Paul has Asia Minor on his heart. God has Rome and the Roman Empire on his heart. So he has a vision at Troas that a man from Macedonia is saying, come and help us. So Paul goes over to Macedonia. He stops at Philippi. We talked about that. He was severely beaten there, uh, had ministry there, a church established, goes to Thessalonica, to Berea in chapter 17, down to Athens. And while he's there at Athens, he literally gets an opportunity to share Christ before the Supreme Court, the Areopagus. Following his time in Athens, he's there alone. He goes to Corinth, 50 miles to the west. And by the end of chapter 18, he'll go to Ephesus and all the way back to Jerusalem, report what he has done, then go back up to Antioch, his home base, and shortly thereafter, turn around and do it Again, he'll go to Ephesus. That just gives you an idea. What I want you to point, what I want to point out though is chapter 17, he's in Athens. Chapter 18, he's in Corinth. Athens was a town of about 10,000. Corinth was a town of about 200,000. Athens valued philosophy and intellectualism. Corinth was a seaport, and so they, they valued commerce and trade. And so a big god to the Corinthians was Poseidon, because he was the god of the sea, or Neptune. And they worshipped him, and then they worshipped Aphrodite, and, and she was the, the, a sex goddess. And they had a temple that overlooked all of Corinth, and there were a thousand prostitutes that applied their trade with the sailors and the travelers in and out. And Corinth was a very immoral city. At Athens, Paul used human wisdom to reach the, the Athenians. 
At Corinth, he used supernatural power to reach them, which says something when you're dealing with a materialistic, sexually driven society. How are you going to reach them? Are you going to reach them intellectually or are you going to reach them with the Spirit's power? I think there's a lesson for us in that. At Athens, Paul ministered alone. At Corinth, he had a team. At Athens, there was very little fruit. No church was started. At Corinth, there was a great harvest of people saved, and several house churches were started. All that points to the fact that when you go it alone, even if you're the Apostle Paul, there will be less fruit. None of us can accomplish on our own. What God can accomplish through us as we work together. As God is moving, as God touches you and uses you, the temptation, and I believe at times the enemy tries to get people to strike out on their own, thinking, oh, well, I know God is using me. Only then to find out that, that there was a value in being a part of the body. Teamwork not only makes the dream work, but teamwork makes us exponentially more effective. We'll always accomplish more together than we will on our own. I'm telling you, there's a power when we get into this place, you just felt it. When we gather as a body, something happens here. There is prophetically a corporate anointing on this place, on this church, to see God move, to deliver people, to see terminal diseases healed, to see people set free. There is an anointing corporately. Again, I believe people have ministries in healing and some people have the gifts of healing, but this is, this is not that. This is a unique thing that God is doing here. That's why when you gather here, why, why when you come here, it's so important. Your, your presence in this room makes a massive difference. You say, well, I don't, I don't really know a lot about healing. I mean, apparently, looking back over these last two years, you don't have to. It's one of the things when God is moving in a place, he just moves. You need healing, your odds of being healed are probably as great with somebody in the parking lot or a greeter at the door as they are anywhere else in the church. I'm not in any way diminishing coming forward. We make room for that in the service. I'm just saying, if somebody walks up and asks to pray for you, let them. Uh, you, may, you may receive right on that moment. It happens all the time. If a junior hire comes up and asks to pray for you, let them. If a 10-year-old comes up and says, can I pray for you? Let them. You'll be glad you did. I mean, what I love about the mission's emphasis is just simply that together we could accomplish more than any one of us could accomplish on our own. So as we look at chapter 18, I want to give, give you just briefly uh, some truths about teamwork. I won't tell you how many I have. I'll just give you the ones I want you to have. <laughs> that we have time for. Number one, teamwork is based on relationship. If we're going to be effective in ministry, we've got to have friends. You've got to have relationships because a team's got to work together. 
Here's what you see with Paul. So interesting. Acts chapter 18, verse 1, after Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, there he met a Jew named Aquila, a a native of Pontus, who'd recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius, the Roman emperor, had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. He ordered that, his secular history tells us, because of a guy named Crestus. Apparently, there was a division among the Jews over Christ, and the Romans said, you're all out. And so all of the leaders of synagogues, all of the, the wealthier Jewish people were expelled from Rome. Aquila and Priscilla are part of that. This also, let me just mention this, gives us an idea of the date. He expelled them in 49 uh, AD. You'd read later in the chapter that Galileo was the uh, proconsul of that region of, uh, there in Corinth, and he served in 51 and 52 AD. So all of that comes together. We know that this is accurate. We know that it's true, and we can actually date it by secular events. Paul goes to the synagogue, and when he's in the synagogue, he meets Priscilla and Aquila. How does he meet him in the synagogue? Well, apparently you would sit by trades in the synagogue. So he's sitting with other people who share his trade. His trade was he was a tent maker. Now, that's really a mistranslation in the Greek. Really, it's leather worker. It's kind of like when we call Jesus a carpenter, really his, or Joseph a carpenter, he was really a stonemason. You didn't build many things out of wood in Nazareth and the surrounding region. So they were stonemasons. Here, Paul isn't making tents, uh, though tents could be made out of leather. He's a leather worker. You say, what is he making? He's making, he's making awnings for businesses. He's making shoes. He's making purses. He's making things that people might need leather for. So he is, has tools, and maybe he didn't get to bring his tools with him, so he's borrowing their tools. And as they begin to talk, he ends up working for them so that he can fund himself while he does ministry. All that to say, whether through work, whether through the synagogue, Paul is making friends. I want to ask you this question. Who are your friends and are you making friends? Paul could have said, well, you know, I've got Silas and I've got Timothy and I don't really need more friends because they're going to be here shortly. So I'll just wait till they come and then my friends will be there. That's not unlike some people who say, well, I'm not going to get in a life group because I already have friends. No, you need to increase your circle of friends. All of us benefit by having friends. Getting to know people. This is why life groups is so important. This is why grow track is so important. Because when you get in there, you're going to meet people in the grow track class. You're going to meet people as you serve on a dream team. You're going to meet people when you're in a life group. You say, well, I don't know that I need more friends. Well, maybe you don't need more friends, but maybe people need you as a friend. Maybe they're the ones who have the need, and you're going to be God's answer to their prayer. You're going to be God's, God's encourager in that phase of their life. Here are Aquila and Priscilla, and they become lifelong friends of Paul. I mean, look at it. Romans 16, Paul writes, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. So now they've gone back to Rome. 
In 1 Corinthians 16, 19, the churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets in their house. So they went from Corinth, they went to Ephesus, they started, they had a church in their home. And then he says at the end of his life, greet Priscilla and Aquila as Paul is writing his last epistle. They were friends. Friends make such a difference. If you're going to... Uh, have a team and, a, and a, experience the benefits of teamwork, then that's based on relationship. Number two, teamwork increases our, the impact of our giving. So initially, Paul asked to support his ministry, but in Acts chapter 18, verse 3, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade the Greeks and the Jews. But now watch what happens in verse 5. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. Here's what happens. People in Macedonia, Philippi, at Thessalonica, at Berea, took up an offering. They sent it to Paul. The offering must have been a lot of money because now for over a year, Paul will not work. Paul will exclusively give himself to the ministry. And you know what the result is? In Athens, no churches are started, but in Corinth, there are multiple house churches started. In Corinth, there is a church that is very strong, that has great spiritual gifts started. Why? Because Paul had the time to devote himself to the ministry. Listen, we did that with, with all the churches we're starting. We're giving them money. We're, we're helping them get established so that they can give themselves to the ministry God has called them to do. You know, when you're giving that money, you're accelerating God's work wherever that money is being sent, whether it's overseas, whether it's here in the U.S., whether it's in the area, you're giving. Our giving together makes a massive, massive difference. It accelerates the work of God. The fact of the matter is, we're never going to really be able to calculate in this life, this side of heaven, all that our giving is done. But you can rest assured that just what it did for Paul, it's doing for the missionaries and the people who are ministering that we're going to be sending that money out to as it comes in. As we're going to be drilling water wells and churches are established and medical clinics are established and schools are established. As we're going to be a part of, of helping in so many different ways, internationally and nationally and locally. Your giving makes a massive difference. Number three, teamwork emboldens our witness. Look at it in verse six. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook his clothes out in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm clear of my responsibility. So that seems very severe. He's like he's shaking out his robes and saying, you know, I'm shaking you off of me. You say, well, what's that about? Well, they would have understood it because Nehemiah used that expression when he was talking to people who were charging fellow Jews' interests. And he said, may God shake you out. May God have nothing to do with you because of the way you're treating them. And so Paul says that. And I want to suggest to you something. That's Paul's way of getting their attention. I don't know. You know, if you're Paul, do it. If you're not Paul, probably go easy on this whole way of witnessing. <laughs> I'm done with you. I never want to talk to you about the Lord again. You know, I mean, that's kind of what you feel there. But then watch what Paul does, because this is very, very funny. It says, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles 
And you know what he does? That sounds, that sounds so final, so I'm done with you. Look what happens in verse 7. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with you. I'm moving next door. You know, and what happens? He's still witnessing to them because the synagogue leader and his family believe in are saved. Listen, let me just say this. One of the things that being in this environment does, it builds your faith. You see people getting saved all the time. I'm telling you, there's never been a day in our ministry where it's been easier to lead people to the Lord, ever. People know they need God. People are hungry for a walk with God. And that should embolden you to share your testimony. What I want to encourage you not to do is to, to never write people off. You know, sometimes we share Christ once, they're not interested, and we think, well, I tried, and they weren't interested, so they must never be interested. When the fact of the matter is that as you and I have relationship with them, as you and I are praying for them, as you and I are interacting with them, the Spirit of God is working through that in a way that is changing their heart and ultimately is going to lead them to Christ. That's what happens to Christmas. Notice as well, would you, because I think this is really important, especially in our day and age where, where the contemporary church has been sold something that I think is a, a massive untruth, and it's the idea, well, I don't have to talk about it. All I just have to do is be it. You know, I don't, I don't, have, to, I don't have to tell people the gospel. I'll just live the gospel, and that's as good or better. It's not true. Paul says in Romans, how shall they believe unless they hear? I mean, people have to hear the gospel. There's a power in the spoken word. The Holy Spirit anoints your words. They carry a conviction that goes into the person's heart. They can't forget what you say to them. They can't forget how you answered their question. Think of one guy who told me, I don't, you know, his wife had gotten saved and he said, I'm not into that. And so don't ever expect to see me at church because I don't even believe there's a God. And I said to him, I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. But I said, let me just say this to you. The Bible says, and the, and the Bible has its own power as well. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no language where their speech is not heard. Their voice goes to the ends of the earth. He's just kind of looking at me as I'm saying this. It's like, good, you know some Bible verses. I said, and let me tell you what that means. Tonight, when you go outside and you look at the stars, the very fact that there are stars that are moving through the sky, perfectly synchronized, the fact of a design says there's a designer. And when you get up in the morning and you see that sun rising and you see the colors on that sky, it speaks, it declares, there is a God who created all of this. And when, you get, when you're driving home at night, you see that sunset. I just want you to remember that those verses I just quoted tell you the, the the sky is shouting at you Bernie there's a God I said look and see two weeks later he was saved here's what he said he said I couldn't get over what you said to me 
That's the power of the word of God. I, every time I looked at the sky, your words were ringing. Listen, tell people the gospel. Let them hear, let them believe, then tell them to be baptized. Number four, teamwork encourages us to keep going even when it's hard. I mean, here's the Apostle Paul, and, and he is in a situation. Acts chapter 18, verse 9, one night the Lord spoke to him in a vision, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack or harm you because I have many people in this city. You say, what's that about? I want you to think about this for just a moment. Less than a year before, he was in Philippi. He was beaten with rods, probably the most severe beating of his entire life. Then he was flogged. Then he was put in stocks. Then he was put in inner dungeon. You don't get over that overnight, even if you're the Apostle Paul. Amen. I'm not just talking about his body physically healing. I'm talking about the emotional trauma of that kind of beating. And then you couple it with at Lystra, a couple years earlier, he had been stoned, left for dead. I believe either nearly dead and healed or dead and resurrected. Either way, he was in bad shape, but he remembered the trauma of those things. And now he's in Corinth. And if you read the chapter, you find that the synagogue leaders are upset. They're going to go to the Roman authorities. It feels like everything is turning against him. And all of a sudden, I personally believe Paul is experiencing an anxiety that if you've ever been in a situation that has caused you to have PTSD, you know what I'm talking about. Panic attacks. Nightmares, anxiety. Listen, you say, but he's Paul. He's human. But the Spirit of God is using him. God uses clay vessels. And the Lord comes to him and touches him. Here's what's interesting. He comes at this moment. We never read again of Paul needing the Lord to come to him in that kind of way for that kind of purpose. I believe God healed Paul. As I'm reading that, praying over the message this morning, I just really feel from the Lord that God wants to heal some people today of that. I realize today's a bit of a unique day. That's okay. Um, there's some, maybe you're a veteran, what you saw in Afghanistan or Iraq, you never have gotten over it. Maybe it was abuse by a guardian or a parent. Maybe it was abuse by a mate, by somebody, maybe some other, you were attacked in some way. And you have panic attacks as a result, and you're stressed about it, and you don't know, and you, you, you really struggle. In fact, um, maybe you're watching online. The reason why you're watching online is you can't get around crowds because you just, something about that all kicks in, and, and there's panic, and there's depression, and there's anxiety, there's anger, and there's all these emotions and emotional responses. And you're getting the help that's out there, hopefully, 
but you're still not over it. There's a God who not only heals our body, but he can heal our soul. He can heal your mind. He can heal your heart. And he wants to heal you. So what I'd like to do, and I'm not gonna ask you to, the last thing you need is to ask somebody, to have somebody ask you to stand up or to, to in some way identify yourself. But God knows who you are. He knows where you're, where you are, and he knows what you need. So I'd like us to bow our heads right now. And if you're somebody who struggles with PTSD, would you, right where you're at, I just want you to just say to yourself, this is for me. God's going to heal me. He's going to touch me. Maybe you're watching online or you're Joplin or you're at the West Campus or the North Campus. The Lord's going to stand by you right now just like he did Paul and he's going to touch you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love for us. Lord, I thank you that you're a healing God. That's your name, Jehovah Rapha. And that your healing not only covers us physically, but covers us emotionally. And Lord, I just know that there's people today that you love so much who have been through such a horrible struggle with PTSD because of circumstances they faced. And Lord, today I pray in Jesus' name that you would set your hand upon them and you would heal them. I pray it would be the end. It would be the end of their battle with PTSD. I pray there'd be a wholeness, there'd be a restoration. People have told them they'll never be the same. I pray, God, that you would touch them right now in the name of Jesus and let your power overwhelm them from the top of their head to the sole of their foot. God, may they feel your presence close to them, working in them, restoring them. And Father, we thank you for that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So wonderful to have a God who heals us, right? And if that was for you, he's healed you. And you have to rest in it. Just say, Lord, you've healed me. I receive it.